God blessed me with a friend. Some call him Jehovah. It amazes me that he has known me, loved me and cared for me, way beyond my earthly existence. He knows how many hairs are on my head and my every thought. It scares me sometimes that he knows me so intimately, but it's reassuring that he loves me still. He picked me. I am special. God's blessed me with a comforter. Some call him Emmanuel. As I journey through life, I've experienced pain. He's not taken it away from me, although he could. He waits for me to call on him, to draw him near. He walks with me and carries me through. He watch o watches over me and sometimes just holds me. God blessed me with a saviour. Some call him Christ. I was once cut off from God. My sin had separated me from him. My saviour took my punishment, the punishment I deserved. He was blameless, yet he took my place. He died an agonising death upon a cross. But death did not defeat him. He conquered death. I don't deserve his love. And there's nothing I can do to earn his forgiveness. But it is by his grace I am saved. Now I can rejoice with him in heaven one day without blemish, white as snow. God blessed me with a helper. Some call him Holy Spirit. He lives within me. He who created the world. Every day he guides me. I am never alone. He gives me clarity and strength to do whatever life throws at me. He helps me every day to love others, especially those who aren't very loving. Sometimes he speaks to me, but I'm too loud to hear him. So I'm reminded to be still. Just be still. God blessed me with a king. One day everyone will call him Lord. One day he's coming back, but now he is Lord of my life. He set the pattern I am to follow. I'm constantly reminded he is the driver. Stop taking the wheel. I need to place him first in my life. I want to live a life people question. I want to live a life of praise. To you, my friend, comforter, saviour, helper, king and lord. It's amazing, isn't it? And God has been speaking to people through the Psalms in different ways and their responses uh, a phenomenal. I think it's just amazing how God does that through his people. Uh, we're going to be hearing a few more. We've got uh, Heather's going to be bringing uh, two haikus to us a little bit later. Uh, they're the really short ones, but she's got them, and then she's going to lead us in that song and help the kids with us a little bit later. Uh, Anne-Marie's got one with it for us. Karen Mormon's got one, and Les has got one as well. So uh, we've got a few to look forward to before we get to Psalm 37 today. Uh, um, I'm not good with words. I'm better with numbers, so I chose to do a a, a, a haiku, which is five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the, the second line, and three in the third. God, you are with me. In my highs and in my lows, I praise you. And the next one was written, you know, when everything gets on top of you and you're just, it's just too much. Help me to endure. I can't do it on my own. Thank you, Lord. Lord, is it on? Yeah. Lord, your plans were made for me before my time began. 
You took me from my place of birth to my place of hope. Through my smallness and weakness, Lord, you held me. Your faithful ones surrounded me and led me to learn your truth. Our voices joined and raised as one. Our hearts were full. Sickness and struggle visited, but you helped us to overcome. Our hope is in you. The ways of the world changed quickly. Days come and pass. New stories were written and much has been done. Unknown enemies confront us every day. Man creates for himself new idols and new ways to tear apart families, homes and communities where you are honoured and held in the highest place. Greed takes over for man, woman and child. More is never enough and the desires for things of this world overtake the treasure in heaven that awaits. Our hope is in you. The history the world writes now, Lord, will tell of confusion and chaos. People will speak of their own thoughts and plans and ideas. They close their eyes to you, Lord of all, God of grace, mighty creator. As we grow older, and tighter, fear creeps in and taunts us. We face challenges that meet us unprepared. Only through our unity in you do we have the strength to face them. It remains that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The faithful continue to toil, to pray, to seek you and to bring your message to many. Our hope is in you. There have been seasons of great joy and times of bitter despair. We look at the faces of our youth and hope that their trust is in you. Our baby's eyes shine not knowing the toil they will have. We pray they will know comfort and peace all their days. You know their future, Lord, and their purpose. You have prepared a place for them also. Your eyes watch and wait. You protect us still. Lord, your plans for me were made before my time began. You took me from my place of birth to my place of hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we allow some of those words to settle, as we think of the words we've heard this morning, that we've sung this morning, as we contemplate you at work in our lives, you at work in the lives of the people beside us and around us, Lord. 
and in the midst of everything that's going on, Lord, the one constant is you. The one who never fails is you. The one who holds it all together is you. I want to praise you and thank you for that, Lord. Heavenly Father, sometimes we wonder what's uh, going on in the world, sometimes we wonder what you're doing within us and then when we take time to think about it and we take time to put it down in words, Lord, it comes flooding forth. And we see you, Lord, at work. In the good, in the bad, in the hard, in the beautiful, in the broken, in the joy, in the sadness, In every time and every place, Lord, you are and you are at work. Thank you, Lord, that we are blessed to have you, our safe place, our resting place, our hope, Lord, in every time and every situation. That you, Lord, hold us and draw us and bring us to yourself. That your love for us that is demonstrated so clearly in Jesus. His life, death and resurrection, Lord, is what holds us. And the Lord, now we are found in him. That we are in Christ, Lord. What a, what a mystery, what an unfathomable joy. Heavenly Father, as we think of everything that's happening around us, when we look at the world, when we see circumstances and situations, Lord, that break our hearts, Lord, our only hope is you. Lord, by your Spirit, Lord, may you grow that within us may you overflow within us by your spirit lord that the love that you have for us will overflow from us and into this world into this community into the harvest lord and see more and more people being drawn to you lord that you will work through us and with us to bring jesus the hope of the world to those around us heavenly father there are many things listed in our service sheet for us to be praying for. Lord, we pray that you'll encourage us to take them home and to pray about them and bring them to you, Lord. We think this Sunday of Legacy Sunday, Lord, and all those who tirelessly and selflessly help those who are either widowed or hurt or found difficulty because of being serving us and serving our nation in our armed forces, Lord. We thank you for them. Lord, many of us have circumstances and situations in our own lives that are going on at the moment. Father, we just take a moment in quietness now to bring them to you. Father, you are our rock. 
you place our feet on solid ground. You hold us, you lead us, you guide us, you love us, Lord. We want to thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago I attended a ladies' camp and at that camp we were encouraged to write our own psalm based on Psalm 136. And in Psalm 136 there's one line that's repeated every second line and that's his love endures forever. Now I didn't keep that psalm so I thought I would write a new one. I didn't tell Paul this but I started writing this during his preaching last Sunday. <laughs> Sorry Paul. <laughs> So this is my psalm and it's a very, in a sense, a very condensed version of my personal testimony from when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, which happened the last weekend in August 1981. So this is my rebirth day this weekend. So this is very fitting to be able to share this. So my psalm. I invited Jesus into my heart and life. He will never leave me. I grew in my faith as I studied the word. He will never leave me. I became disobedient in relationships. He will never leave me. I found peace and joy in his forgiveness. He will never leave me. I again grew as I trusted him in each day. He will never leave me. I'm still a sinner, but saved by grace. He will never leave me. I rejoice as I know I have a saviour who will never leave me. not here. Can someone grab Les? Oh, there he is. Oh, you've moved. You were there, now you're there. Les, you're going. Oh, I'm a ginger ninja. That's all right. Um, okay. There is so much injustice the systems fail. There's so many loopholes. There's huge gaping gaps. You've called us to love and care, and you've sustained us. Let it not be for nothing. I bury my head in my pillow. The tears that well up are coming from deep inside. But there was no disappointment with you, Lord. Even when I was tempted to doubt or call out to you in anger, I never made it there. Your mercy and grace was all that I could remember. You've grown me throughout my years to prepare me for this time. Your mercy and kindness is who you are in my life. The rock you set my life on is strong and wide and deep. This didn't break me because your spirit is strong. He's powerful. Keep me walking in your spirit. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I reckon we've learned lots, haven't we, already just this morning hearing people's stories and seeing God at work in their lives and being able to express that in different ways. Can I encourage you to try that? If you haven't had a go at uh, putting down a psalm, it doesn't have to be as eloquent as we've heard today. They've all been pretty amazing, haven't they? 
but when you read through the Psalms, and as we've been talking about that, uh, they are cries of the heart, aren't they? They're as uh, people have experienced God, experienced life, and then wanted to express that back to God. And that's what they are. So let me encourage you to think about that. Let me encourage you to have a go at that. Some of the people that have done theirs uh, today have never written before. Uh, Heather said that's not something that she does. It's not Words aren't her great gift, as she said, though she's pretty good at them when she gets up the front. Uh, and Lynn Finance said that she'd never, ever thought of doing something like that. But actually writing that and putting that down has had a huge impact and changed them. And as we heard from Karen and Anne-Marie as well. Like their stories, aren't they? You can hear their story within that psalm and you see God at work within them. And it's a great way of expressing what's going on for you before God. Uh, we're going to hear now from Psalm 37, another psalm. This actually is quite a long psalm. We're going to do the first 11 verses today. Uh, so open your Bibles up and have a look. We're, gonna, we're not going to spend a whole... I'm not going to hopefully be a little bit shorter than normal, maybe. Depends on how wound up I get. Um, but we're going to look at Psalm 37, and it's a psalm that, I, in the timing, amazing Anne-Marie, like she said, this, is, this weekend was the weekend that Jesus changed her life and transformed her life, and then this is the weekend she gets up and shares that here. God's amazing with his timing, isn't he? We couldn't organise that if we tried. I had no idea that was what was for Anne-Marie, that this weekend was that. And I didn't have an idea that, uh, particularly that this weekend with Psalm 37 just how pertinent it is and how pertinent it was to me. Uh, but it's a great psalm and I think it's a great psalm that speaks into us and to us and particularly in the situation that we're in in Australia at the moment. So Psalm 37, verses 1 to 11, and Heather's going to come up and read that for us. It'll be on the screen if you want to watch or in the Bible if you want to look through it. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Amen. As I mentioned to you a couple of times already, we're going on long service leave after this afternoon uh, for eight weeks. And uh, as we're heading off, I think this is a great psalm for Corinne and I as we head off, in one sense, but I think it's also a great psalm for all of us, isn't it? Because the resounding thing that comes through this psalm is the thing, don't fret. Uh, it continually comes up in this psalm, and I think that's a fantastic word, isn't it? It's a great word at this time. 
Uh, for me, as we're heading off, not to fret the fact that we're going away to a country that we've got no idea what it's going to be like, and we're going to be there for eight weeks. Not to fret for you being here without us, and not for you to fret for us or fret that we're not here either. Uh, but it's not just for that either, is it? Uh, it's a great psalm that speaks into that situation for us, but I think it's a great psalm because I think it, for me, it speaks into the situation that we're in in Australia at the moment. I don't know about you, but whenever I turn on the television at the moment, it's all about the same-sex marriage debate. As soon as I open up my Facebook, it's all about the same-sex marriage debate uh, and the plebiscite that's coming up. And to the point that it's just flooding everything. It's taking over everything, it's taking over all our thinking, it's taking over everything that we're doing. And I got to the point last week after I'd read, I don't know how many articles on it and how many times I've listened to things and how many times I've looked at, I just sat back and I thought, I'm being overtaken by this. And then I read Psalm 37. And it just spoke directly to me. Because if you go into Psalm 37, it's a great passage, isn't it? Because it says, do not fret when these things happen says it three times in this passage there in verse one it says the very first thing so the very first words often are very helpful to tell you what this psalm's about isn't it it says do not fret and then again it says in verse seven do not fret and then again in verse eight do not fret uh, what it means by fret is it does means don't get overcome by don't get so anxious by don't get so consumed by that you start to get taken over by. That's what the word fret means. And David in his psalm is saying, do not fret. And David's in the psalm, and as if you notice the psalm, as soon as he says do not fret, he explains why. He says, because when he looks at the world around us, it seems like those people that don't follow God are getting on well. And he says, don't fret. Don't get overconsumed, but don't get so caught up in this. He says, don't fret. It's a great psalm. It, it's not a psalm in a sense that every little line has to be tied into exactly what's going on. You see, Psalm 37 is a bit more like Proverbs. Uh, it's not so much that every line here is a promise to every individual, but the, what he's saying here is this is the general sense. This is what's going to happen. This is wisdom for you to listen to. These are wisdom sayings for you in the world that you live in. And in this Psalm 37, if you read it in Hebrew, uh, it actually uses every letter out of the Hebraic um, alphabet as it goes through the psalm. So it's very poetic. Uh, it's very proverbial, but it speaks deep wisdom. Deep wisdom into every situation, don't we? David is writing 2,000 years, I mean, sorry, about 1,000 years before Jesus, which is what, about 3,000 years before today. And what is he saying? He says, don't fret when the world doesn't look like it's going the right way. Now, sometimes I think, don't we, we sometimes I think we're sitting in a world today and we think, oh, it's all the worst of the world today, it's so bad today, everything's bad today, it's all more, more ungodly today than what it's ever been. 3,000 years ago, 
he was more ungodly than what it is today, guys. At the time of Jesus, it was more ungodly than it was today. Basically, the Bible tells us that the world has always been ungodly. Now, there's certain circumstances and situations that come up, yes, that take us and hit us at different times, but basically the Bible tells us that the world has been ungodly from the moment Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. The world was on a trajectory away from God. And we're just seeing the consequences for it, aren't we? It's a great psalm, isn't it? Because it speaks directly to where we are today. And it speaks into this situation, particularly in our country in the place at the moment, where we are bombarded by what many of us would say that that is a particularly not a good direction for us, an ungodly direction for us to go as a nation, not helpful for our nation to go. But we're not to fret about it. Do not fret, he says. Because the world has been this way from the beginning. But God is always the same through all of it. You see what happens is uh, David says, doesn't he? He says there's two types of people here. He says there are the ones, uh, we often break the world up into two types of people, don't we? We often say the people that do this or the people that do that. I mean, there's two types of people that are like this, not like that. Uh, there are two people like this, aren't they? The people that have their toilet roll coming to the front and the people that have the ones that go to the back. The godly have it coming to the front, the ungodly have it going to the back. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see any problem with that at all. That's what it is, isn't it? You're either one or the other. Uh, in the Bible, it says that there's either those that are following Jesus and those that aren't. Those that are following God, David says, are the righteous. We know that when we get to the New Testament, the only people that are righteous are the ones that know Jesus. They've come to know Jesus because God makes them righteous. No one is righteous apart from Jesus. So there's only two types of people in the, in the world, those that are righteous, those that are followers of Jesus and are leading his way. And then there's what the Bible says, David says, are the wicked. Now he's not saying that they're any more wicked morally than anyone else. They're just saying they're people who don't follow Jesus. People who do not follow God is what David's saying. They are the only two categories in the, in the world. One, that want to follow and live for God, follow Jesus, and those who don't. And so David in this psalm says that that's the situation back then, and we can say that's the situation today. And he says those that are following God and who are righteous going to talk a lot about that in a minute but he says to us those who aren't following God who are the unrighteous the wicked he says well don't fret about that don't fret about that or them he says the world actually looks like often doesn't it that those who don't follow God get on better David's saying back in his day he's king of Israel right at this point in time but he's saying it looks like the people who don't follow God, they've got everything going their way. They're prosperous, they're successful, things are going good for them in their life. He says, don't fret. It's amazing, isn't it? Because he says fretting leads to two more things. He said fretting leads to becoming envious. When we get consumed by those that aren't following God, we actually think, well, maybe I want to live that life. Maybe I want that. Maybe it is better to live 
not following Jesus. Maybe it is to be more. Maybe it's going to be better not following Jesus. It looks like it's going to be okay over here. You get envious of the fact that they don't have to worry about God. He says, "Don't do that. Don't fret over that because that's where you end up." And then, secondly, he says, "If you do that, what does it do? Refrain from anger and turn from wrath." When we fret, when we get envious, when we get we get then we get angry, and then wrath comes out, and then we respond in a way that only leads to evil. I've had to catch myself a number of times this week when I've been sitting watching the TV and particular people get on and particularly espouse particular positions and want to nail someone on to the Day Show this week quoted an Old Testament saying to have a go at Christians and man, I wanted to jump down the throat of that person and say, that is the most uneducated position to take on this debate. You're doing exactly what you're blaming Christians of doing. You're grabbing something out of the Old Testament, you're taking a verse and you're saying, well, if you're going to do this, you've got to do this. That is such... I felt like jumping down their throats. I'd moved from anger to wrath to evil. I literally started to almost get to the point that I wanted to jump at them, get angry at them. That's... I had to pull back from that. That's sinful. That's not what God says we need to do, does he? He says, do not fret. When we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus says, uh, I read this to the guys at session the other night uh, in Luke, uh, the disciples are moving, they've gone from Jerusalem and they're about to head, sorry, they've gone from uh, Galilee, Nazareth there and they're about to head down to Jerusalem They've got to pass through the Samaritans who, man, to the Jews, they're dirt. But they're going to pass through the middle of that and some of the disciples go ahead and as they go into these towns, the people don't want to have anything to do with them and they come up and say, Jesus, these blokes, they don't want to know anything about you. Can we pour down God's wrath and smite them? Bring in all the thunder and let's just blot them out of this history. What does Jesus say to them? Literally, he says, don't fret. He says, no, no, have mercy. That is such wise words, isn't it? Because he knows this. He knows Psalm 37. Because what does David say? He says, there's two things that we need to do. When the world around us looks like it's going in a direction that we don't think is really helpful, when we're heading off in this other and we're consumed by it, He says, don't fret, because he says there's two things you can do. He says you need to look to the future, and you need to look up. You see, because what happens when we get so consumed by issues that are happening on the world, when we get so consumed by a particular issue that's happening in our society, we stop talking about Jesus. And we start talking about the issue, and we start talking about morals. Jesus never starts at morals. He starts with Jesus. And then morals follow. You don't try and change someone's behaviour. The Bible never says you can't change a person's behaviour to become a Christian. It's impossible. You introduce them to Jesus and that changes behaviour. Now don't get me wrong, I've got my particular position on same-sex marriage and the plebiscite 
and I've got my arguments worked out in my head and I know all of those things that are there and I've thought through all that and I know what's going on with that and if I had to sit down and talk through that, I could be happy to talk through that with someone. So I'm not saying don't have your understanding right but don't start making or trying to make our country moral first. It's not going to work. never has worked. Whenever Christianity has been imposed and tried to make moral, it's destroyed. It's, been, it's gone the opposite. We've got to keep talking about Jesus. We've got to keep encouraging people to know Jesus. We've got to turn the conversation to Jesus. You might want to use that particular issue, but you, want to tap, you, you don't want to start with that issue. You want to start with Jesus first because it gets hijacked. Because we don't need to fret, guys. We don't need to worry that our country might be going morally down the tubes. It already is down the tubes, by the way. <laughs> All right? And it was back in David's day. And it was in Jesus' day. It was a thousand years later. It is now. Why don't we need to be worried about that? Why don't we need to fret about that? Because we need to look to the future, because the future is ultimately secure. I think our vision gets clouded, doesn't it? These things jump in and suddenly they take over our vision and they become our vision and then it gets all blurred whereas we need to have a vision reset. Some of you might know that I have to wear glasses at home and I've worked out that lately uh, people are writing things to me and they're putting things on the net and they're writing them in smaller fonts. I don't know why they're doing that. I don't know why they're trying to make things smaller. But I've got to get new glasses because I can't read. <laughs> you see, it's actually not their problem, is it? It's my problem. My vision has become blurred. My vision is getting blurred because my eyesight is deteriorating. I need to get a new vision. I need to have reset glasses. And I think Psalm 37 is a great psalm for us today to reset our vision, particularly where we're at at the moment to reset our vision, have a clearer vision so that we don't fret. David says, look to the future. That's the first thing he says to us. He says, look to the future because here and now is only a blip on the screen of eternity. God has been there in the beginning. God will be there in the end. And guess what? God is here in the middle as well. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, For like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. For those who are evil will be destroyed. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. There come time when it's going to be like that, gone. God has the future sorted. He says, those who don't follow Jesus, those that haven't given their lives to Jesus, well, their lives will wither and flow and go and be destroyed. And in verse 11, it's a wonderful verse, and I haven't got it up there, but look at what it says in verse 11. And tell me who else said this. Can someone read it for me? Is 
that, does that ring a bell? Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? The meek will inherit the earth and peace will abound. Uh, what he's talking about ultimately is eternity, isn't it? That the meek are those that have decided that their lives, we can't live, we can't live it ourselves, we can't do it ourselves, we can't be righteous ourselves. The meek are the ones who have given their lives to Jesus. They will inherit the earth and they will have great peace or they will prosper in great peace is what some of the versions have. That's a wonderful statement, isn't it? That eternity and future is secure, that God will bring about a final day and justice will be done. So don't fret, he says. <laughs> we fret about lots of stuff, don't we? Because we, don't, we think, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next day? What's going to go on here? God's got it all. He's had the past, he's got the future, and he's got the present. So don't fret. Such a great psalm, isn't it? He says, don't fret because the future's there, we know it. And don't fret. Ooh. But wait patiently. Look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. David, 3,000 years ago, is saying we need to wait patiently. When Jesus came, they were told to still wait patiently, weren't they? Jesus came and brought all that to fruition and we know that's our saviour, but Jesus says he's going to return again and he says that we are to wait patiently. To be ready, to be on watch, and patiently without fretting, without panicking, but trusting. Because we need to look up. I didn't know what picture to put up with this one, but I thought looking up to God in the sky. Uh, David says that, doesn't he? He says we need to have our vision revered. Remember the future. God's got it, and, and he will bring about justice. Ultimate justice will come. But he also says, here and now, look to God, look to him, because he'll enable you to live out in this world without fretting, without envy, and without anger. What he says there in verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord and do good. If you don't take anything out of this thing, that, that is such a great verse, isn't it? Trust in the Lord, don't fret. Don't worry about what's going on in one sense. Don't get consumed by what's happening in the world, not going the morally direction you want it to go in. But trust and do good. Sometimes I think uh, we wonder what are we to do in this world, don't we? And we'd like to have God to write it in the sky, uh, exactly what to do. And sometimes we'd like to pick up the Bible and just flip it open and go, put my finger on it and work. You see, the Bible was never written that way or intended that way. There's not a concordance at the back of the Bible where you're working out, uh, who am I going to marry? Who am I going to marry? Ah, oh, Karina, that's it. Didn't that that? I was just blown away by this amazingly gorgeous woman and I just said, that's the one who loved Jesus as well. But, you know, that was, you know, it doesn't have that, does it? It doesn't go, oh, what job should I have? All right, go to the, go back. It doesn't, doesn't say that, does it? The Bible isn't so much that it's an A to Z of how you are to live in every specific situation, every decision made. It's more like it's a compass and it gives you the direction. 
that you are to live. And the way that you are to live, which is far better than someone saying, okay, this is what you must do here in this situation, isn't it? God allows us to make decisions, but he gives us the direction and the guidance within them. He's the compass. That's what his word is for us. That's what his spirit applies to us. That's what he gives us people to do to help us make those decisions. And what a great one is to trust and do good. If that's all you took and went and did it, we'd be going great, wouldn't we? Trust is a must. We heard from Jenny Strong back after Philippians, didn't we? You see, in everything that God talks about, in regards to understanding about all the blessings that he gives and all the promises he gives, the one that hangs it all together is that we trust in him. If you don't want to be anxious, you are to trust. If you're not to fret, you are to trust. If you know where the direction you are to trust. That's the answer he gives in all of them, doesn't he? But we find that so hard because we want to take control. But he says trust is a must if we're not to fret. And we're out to go and do good. And that to do good, we find out in the New Testament, is to love God and to love others. That's the direction that our lives need to be. In this world that's going chaotic amongst us, when all these issues are coming around us, we need to trust God that he's got it. Now and the future. And we need to go on and get good. What's the good today is to love him and to love others. And that's particularly of those who have a different position to us. Who may live differently to us. Particularly those who don't live to follow Jesus. We are to love them. We don't have to agree with them. But we're to love them. You know, in this world that keeps telling us about being tolerant, gee, this debate lately has become intolerant, hasn't it? On every direction. Become intolerant. If you don't hold my view, then I'm going to hate you. As Christians, we need to flip that, don't we? If you don't agree with me, I'm going to love you. That's what the doing good is. Trust the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord. It's a great statement, isn't it? Take delight in the Lord. When was the last time you just sat down and just opened yourself up to think how wonderful you are, God? Benny's far north coast psalm. As he walks out to Snapper, as he looks around, it's a delighting in God, isn't it? And what he's done around us. And as we look to Jesus, do we delight in that? Because as we delight in it, there's a wonderful promise at the end of it, isn't there? And he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's a big statement. If you wanted to pull that one verse out, you could say, well, I, could, uh, I think that would be great, Lord. You'll give me a Ferrari when I arrive in Italy and I'll be able to drive that around for the four weeks that I'm there. That's the desire of my heart. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think Karina would be going in a bus, but I'd be in the Ferrari. And it'd be great. I'll just meet her at each destination and we'll see how we go. And that's not what he's talking about, desires of our heart, is he? Notice the first part. If you delight in the Lord, you see, as we delight in him, as we see his beauty, as we understand who he is, 
and the joy that we have in him, then our delight will become his delight and his delight will become ours and then he'll give us the delight of our hearts because they'll be the same. Trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. How often do you wake up in the morning and go, Lord, this is all yours, everything is yours and I want to live for you. Or you get up and go, oh man, I'm late. Get me that coffee. Strike, I need to get... Oh no, the kids have thrown up all night on the bed. I've got to change the mattress again. Oh man. Commit to your way to the Lord. What a great way to start the day. What a great way in the middle of the chaos of the day to step back and go, Lord, this is all yours. I just want to go your way. And he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? If we trust and do good, if we delight in the Lord, if we commit our ways to the Lord, he'll make your righteousness, he'll make your life living for Jesus uh, reward shine like the dawn. You'll shine from you. It'll come out from you. Uh, one of the Psalms, wasn't it? I don't know from the lens, some of them were saying that they want to be someone who they look at who are shining for Jesus, that there's something different in that person. That we shine for Jesus in the way that we live in the world. As we shine for Jesus in the way that we live in this world, then they're going to want to know about Jesus and we can share Jesus with them. We can introduce them to the reason that we shine. And we don't have to fret. Psalm 37, if you go through the rest of the psalm, he just expands on that. He continues that theme. He, uh, he continues with that for about 40-odd verses. Uh, so, one thing else, isn't it? We may be feeling like that, like David. It's not something new to us. But David brings us back, doesn't he? He brings us back and gives us a clear vision. A vision that we look to the future and know God's got it. To know that he's got everything sorted now as well. A vision where we are to look to him, to trust in him, to do good, to commit, to delight in him. And if we do that, we're not going to fret. We're not going to be empty. We're not going to lead to anger and wrath. And it won't lead to evil. And we'll shine like stars in the universe. Stars that shine for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Our lives are so complicated and messy. This world is so complicated and messy. So often we look out at Lord and we think, oh, why are we doing this? Why are people making these decisions? Why are people not living for you? And sometimes, Lord, we can get so obsessed and possessed and overcome by all of that. And then in the end, Lord, we actually are led to being envious. We're led to being angry. And Lord, we lead to doing evil. Heavenly Father, we ask now for your forgiveness if we've gone down that path. We ask for your forgiveness if we've lashed out and expressed 
our views in a way that's hurtful, in a way that is in anger or wrath, in a way that hasn't shined well on you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that your forgiveness is complete and we pray, Lord, that your spirit will take what we've heard this morning uh, from people's own psalms and from your word, Psalm 37. That, Lord, you'll take it and apply it into our hearts and into our lives, Lord, and we will be transformed and we will be people who trust and do good, that we will be people who delight in you, Lord, that we will be people who commit our lives to you, Lord, that we will be people who shine the light of Jesus into this dark, dark world. That, Lord, we will live lives that show that we love you above anything else. And that in loving you, Lord, we're going to love everyone that you've put on this earth in the hope that everyone on this earth, Lord, will come to be people who love you and live for Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can see first light warming the cliffs of Goanna Headland. This is powerful beauty, the Master's hand. I am alone, yet your spirit is near to me. We watch this living canvas together. Lord, why are you even mindful of me? What can I offer but frailty and disappointment? I'm slow to listen, and slow to obey. My best efforts are like food scraps in the green waste bin after a week. Even so, my spirit rallies, Lord, as you lift my head. Even if I crawl to the back of the cave at half-tide, or tell my confusion to a solitary trail winding through Bunjalung, my life is not a mystery to you, my God. The path is slippery round the rocks to Snapper, but you place my feet and my heart on sure ground, solid to face the trials that crash like wind-driven storm swells. Observe the power of the ocean as it tears away the sand at the tick fence, yet it cannot compete with your resolve, and my eternity is safe with you through Jesus. I marvel at the tranquility of the rainforest at Terrania Creek and delight in the clear aqua seawater after a month of sun and southerlies. They speak to me, Lord, of your goodness, mercy and love. Thank you.